If you would turn to Matthew chapter 19, we will begin in verse 16. Matthew chapter 19, and we will begin in verse 16. So what we're going to do is we, we probably won't cover the whole class tonight. Uh, I'm sure Don's going to be out again in the future at some point, and we'll kind of pick up where we left off tonight. We're going to read it, and then we're going to kind of go through, and we'll stop and discuss some various things along the way. So Matthew chapter 19, beginning in verse 16. Now behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good things shall I do that I may have eternal life? So he said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? And Jesus replied, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these things I have kept from my youth, what do I still lack? Verse 21, Jesus said to him, If you want to be perfect, go, sell what you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. Verse 22, But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Okay, so we commonly call this the rich young ruler. So what I want to do is we're going to start by looking at rich, young, and ruler. So he was young. Does anybody have any idea how young he was or what his age might have been? Any thoughts, any guesses? Okay, so there are some scholars and philosophers. One in particular said that this particular period of age being classified as young would be somewhere between 22 and 28 years of age. Okay, another uh, Greek biographer said that a young man was between the ages of 20 and 40 years old. So somewhere between the 20 and 40, uh, we would typically call that a young man even in today's society. When we talk about youth, youth is something that as a society, we tend to, um, we tend to value as a society. If you look at our society today in 2022 versus you know, 40 years ago, 50 years ago when I was a kid, we tend to put more value on youth than we used to. And many of you have probably seen this in your own lives. You think about when you were a kid, when we were around older people, let me rephrase the question. How do we look at older people now versus 50 years ago? Okay, that's one perspective. They're not so old. But from a, uh, from a respect standpoint, Christopher? Yeah, yes. Yes, yes. When I was growing up, like, you respect older people. Today, we don't see as much of that. You know, I work with a lot of older people. Um, I have a lot of patients who are older people. And... Um, I really enjoy working with older people, and you can define older people however you want. I'm not getting into that. But um, older people, does anybody know what wisdom is? How would you define wisdom? What is it? Smart, okay. Knowledge. You can't get wisdom from Tennessee Tech. You can't get wisdom from a college. You can get educated. 
You can get intelligence, but you can't get wisdom. Wisdom comes from life. Wisdom comes from just living. You can find somebody who doesn't have a, a second grade education, and they can be one of the wisest people you'll ever meet. One of the things that I enjoy about being around older people is asking them questions and just listening to them talk. What was it like when you were a kid? Uh, one of the things that I enjoy the most is when I ask them, I'll pretend like I'm old, and that really gets, them, gets their feathers ruffled. And I'll say, you know, how do you define age? And how do you define what's old? And, and that'll get them going. But just listening to people who are older depart some of that wisdom, some of that just life experience. Again, I'm 45. I'm not old in the scheme of things. When I sit down with somebody who's, you know, 75, 80, 90, 100 years old, they can tell you some stories. And they can learn you a few things. As a society, unfortunately, we are not valuing our elderly like we should. This is a biblical principle. We should value our elderly. We should always show them the respect that they deserve. So in contrast, we're talking about this rich young ruler. Okay? He is young. Many times, even as we get older, we think about Oh, if I could only go back in time 20 years or 30 years or 50 years, back when I was young and how good life was, we like to reminisce about the good times when we were young. We put value on the fact that, on, on youth in, in and of itself. Think about when you're young. If you are young and you are converted to Christ at a young age, think about you have your whole life ahead of you that you can serve God. And that is not to discredit anybody who has obeyed the gospel later in life. The point simply is, is that when we are young and we obey the gospel, we have more influence. I can teach more people. I can do more things for the, for the church. So youth is, is a good thing. So we're going to look at these three things, rich, young, and ruler. Okay, so we, we're looking at youth. We talked briefly about this a few weeks ago, but have you ever thought about, you wake up one day and you think, where did time go? How did I get to be so old so quickly? I'm sure that this is not just a me thing, because I'm not old, but, but even at my age, I wake up and I think, how did I get to be 45 so quickly? Like, it just, it doesn't take time, it doesn't take long. And you think about when you get to be 60 and 70 and 80 and 90 and 100, and you think, where did the last 20 years go? We think about, you know, on, on Sunday, it's going to be the anniversary of 9-11. It will be 21 years that 9-11 occurred. Does that seem like it's been 21 years? To me, that seems like it was just a few years ago. And then you do the math, and it's 21 years ago. I've heard that a million times, and I absolutely think that's true. He said, the older you get, the faster it goes. And, uh, and I believe that, and I'm starting to experience, it, experience that. Time goes by really, really quickly. Something we were talking about in the fifth and sixth grade class on this past Sunday is how we expect things. We expect to wake up tomorrow morning and for tomorrow morning to be just like today, that we're going to have the same health that we experienced today, that we're going to have the same luxuries uh, that we had today. 
Did you know that there are lots of people who they woke up one morning thinking that it was going to be just like every other day, not realizing that it was their last day? I could tell you about a congregation that I was a member of years ago, and there was a young man who went off to college, and uh, he was at the beach, and he got caught up in the rip current. He passed away, he drowned. Do you think that he woke up that morning and thought, this is going to be my last day? I could tell you about another young man at the exact same congregation. He played on the high school basketball team. Good kid, healthy kid. You'd never know anything was wrong with him. Played the basketball game, went to the locker room. He collapsed on the floor. By the time they got him to the hospital, he was pronounced dead. You think his parents woke up that morning and thought, this will be our last day with our son. My point is, is that we think tomorrow is going to come just like today did. We take that for granted. We are not promised another day here on this earth. And we all have stories like this. We all know people who have died suddenly, unexpectedly. Don't take your life for granted. We have so much to be thankful for. Count your blessings daily. Time marches on. We are only young for a short period of time. When I ask my kids who are pretty young, I say, well, does time go by, is time fast to you? And they're like, oh, it's so slow. And, you know, when are we going to get out of school? And I'm like, blink your eyes and you'll be an adult. I mean, it, it happens like that. Yes. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So a lot of life is perspective. You know, at 45, I've learned not to define age. When people tell me, when they people ask me to define what old is, I say 100. Because you can't go wrong with 100. If you're 100, you're officially old, right? If you're 99, you're almost old, but you're not old yet. But if I'm 45, I might look at somebody who's 70 and I think, well, they're older. Well, the person who's 70 thinks they're, eight, they're, they're ancient. And the person who's 90 thinks they're young. The person who's 100 thinks they're young. So it's all perspective. Remember that, that, our, that time goes by so quickly that youth is for a short period of time. Yes, sir. It cannot. It cannot. That seems so simple. Money cannot buy back time. I can't trade in a possession. There's nothing I can do to get time back. You know, sometimes even as Christians, we think when life slows down, I'm going to buckle down and I'm going to be a more diligent Christian. You know, when, when the kids get older, whenever I finish work, whatever the scenario, is, what the scenario is, once I get married, you fill in the blank. Once this happens, I'm going you know, to really devote my life to Christ and I'm going to start evangelizing and I'm going to really get active in the church. And it never happens. We just kind of push it off to the next milestone. We need to be thankful for the time that we have right now. We're not promised tomorrow.
Okay, so the first thing that we see is that the rich young ruler, he is young. He has youth on his side. The second thing that we see is he is a ruler. Does anybody know what kind of ruler he is? Any thoughts? So the Bible really doesn't specifically say. Um, Luke's account, Luke 18.18, calls him a certain ruler. This could possibly be some sort of local politician. He could have been maybe an official over some sort of territory. We really don't know. Most likely he was a ruler over some sort of local synagogue. Regardless of his actual position, he obtained it uh, noteworthy, respectably. It wasn't deceit. It wasn't bribery that he got this position. He was a good, moral man. If you are a ruler, if you, are, if you have um, power in this sense, what does that mean? What are some things that come with that? Okay, so I have um, people that I am responsible for, right? If I'm a ruler, I'm res if you think about a CEO of a company, that CEO is ultimately responsible for employees, okay? So he's got people that are answering to him. What else? Prestige. So sometimes we look at somebody who's, who's got a position like that as we kind of look up to them as prestigious. There's power sometimes with a position like that. You think about the President of the United States. Think about the power that he has. A lot of times we call the, the President of the U.S. the most powerful individual in the world. Think about the power. Think about people are always looking up to you. So as a ruler, there are certain things that come with being a ruler. Now what's interesting is, is he is some sort of ruler, but what is really ruling him? His riches, the money is actually ruling him. We call him the rich young ruler, and he's a ruler over something, but he's not even in control of himself. The, his riches are controlling him. Uh, it, it's even in, in today's society, we see people who, um, who have power and they have influence. Uh, is there anything wrong with being a, a ruler or having power? No, these things are necessary. We need people who are over companies and who are politicians who are over, you know, various things, a mayor and a governor and a president. We need these things. The third thing that we see here is that he is rich. Does anybody know how much money the rich young ruler had? You think he was middle class? No. According to the Bible, Matthew chapter 19, verse 22 says he had great possessions. Luke 18.23 says he was very rich. This is not your average guy. This is not a middle class guy. He's a young guy. He's a ruler. He's got money. He's got great possessions. How he obtained his wealth, the Bible doesn't say. It could have been that he inherited it. It could have been that he earned it. We just don't know. The issue is not that he had wealth. There's nothing wrong with having wealth. But the issue is his attitude towards his wealth. Does the Bible talk about wealth a lot? Yeah. Why, why is wealth so dangerous? Okay. The Bible says that we need to possess it rather than it possessing us. 
But how does that happen? Do you think Christians ever get caught up in this? How does it happen? Do you think you just wake up one morning and you just, your possessions possess you? Like, how does it happen? I think it's like a lot of things in life. It's this gradual, it just kind of gradually comes on. You know, we talked about the things that we watch on TV, the music that we listen to, and how we become desensitized to these things. I think the same thing can happen with our, with our money and with material, how blessed we are in this country. And we become desensitized and we expect things. I expect my garage door opener to work when I hit this button. I expect that to happen. And when it doesn't, I get upset. This crazy garage door, not working again. When you go over to other countries and you realize how blessed we are, it will change your perspective on things. It really will. You can take low, low income here in the United States, and that is very, very rich in the scheme of the world. We don't like to think of ourselves as rich, but we really are. And if you don't think you're rich, go do some mission work in Africa and South America and other countries. We are so rich. Like the brother who did the India mission report recently, we are so very rich. We open our pantries and we have food falling out and we open our refrigerator and we're having to move food and we're so blessed. We go into our closets, we, have, we say we have nothing to wear and we're blessed, we're rich. Now, we're not rich like the rich young ruler, but we are rich. The world that we live in today values money. Anybody know who the richest man in the world is? No. Elon Musk. $250 billion is his net worth. $250 billion. And we think, wow, that would be you know, so amazing. I'm going to give you my opinion here, and you can take that for what it's worth. I've had this discussion many times over the years with different people. If somebody were to give you $50 billion, would it change you as a person? And I know that a lot of people say, oh, it wouldn't change me. I would give, you know, 99.9% .9 of it away, and it wouldn't change me. Yes, sir. Okay, that's, that's, that's a wise statement. Um, my opinion is, is if we had some crazy number of money, it would have to change us to some extent. We tend to think, even as Christians, we tend to think if I just had a little bit more, I would be so happy. And think about what I could do. I could pay off my house and I could give here and I could give here. And, and, but we always want just a little bit more. Do you think somebody who's worth $250 billion is truly happy inside. I don't know the man, so I don't want to speak for him. But even if he is happy, as Christians, how is it that we are not happier or full of more joy than even somebody who has $250 billion? Like, like the brother said earlier, all that money, you can't buy time with it. You can't buy health with it. If we have 
just normal blessings, and we are a child of God, we are so very rich. We are so very blessed. We think about in society, we look at movie stars, we look at athletes and the money that they make. And, and, and this is how, you know, we talked about this a few weeks ago, how we want to kind of model ourselves around society sometimes. You know, if I could be like that sports, that, that athlete who drives that car or wears those fancy shoes. And w even as Christians, we want to mold ourselves like the world, but then we say, well, we're not of the world. We're not like the world, but we do our very best to mold ourselves after the world. Who are your heroes in life? You know, to your children, who are your kids' heroes in life? You know, I was a big Cal Ripken fan when I was growing up. But who are your true heroes? Would it be wrong for your heroes in life to be Guy in Woods, Foy Wallace, you know, people who grew up in the church and really helped the church to grow? The Apostle Paul, would he be a good hero? Somebody that I really look up to and somebody that I really want to pattern myself after? We think about these athletes today, and um, if somebody offered you $10 million to you know, play a position, we would say, yeah. But we have athletes today who say, well, I'm not, pay I'm not playing for $10 million. I want I want $15 million. I'm sitting out until you pay me what I deserve. It's, it's an attitude. Riches can destroy a person. Think about it. The rich, young ruler. He had youth. He's in the prime of his life. He was a ruler. He had some power. He had some prestige. He had influence over others. And he had money, but he didn't let that money he let that money control him rather than him, him controlling it. Sometimes riches will do, sometimes riches will give us a false sense of security. Now think about your 401k. You know, you sit back and you think, well, my 401k, even with the pandemic, it's doing really well. And, you know, I'm okay. Even as Christians, we have to be very careful where we are focusing our, our riches on. You can have nothing in your 401k, you can have nothing in your bank account, but if you are a faithful child of God and you are walking in the light, you've got it all. You've got things that, that uh, people who have $250 billion don't have. We just need to put things in perspective sometimes. So we see that this rich young ruler was not rich towards God, Luke 12, 21. From the world standpoint, what does this guy have going for him? Everything, yes. We would look at him and we would say he is the picture of success in our society. He's young, he's got power, he's got money. And we would all want to be like him. This is how our world defines success. I, I, would, I would think that if you were to go out and poll people and say, what are some things that, that you would love to have in your life? Money would be one of them. Power would probably be one of them. From a, from a heavens, from a, from a religious, from a heaven standpoint, what are some things that he has going for him? Let's look at our text. He's an earnest man. 
Would you describe him as an earnest man? Yeah, I think he's very earnest. In Mark 10, 17, it says that he comes running to Jesus. There's an eagerness on his part. There's a willingness on his part. He's an earnest man. He came with great enthusiasm. He's a humble man. Mark 10, 17 says that he came kneeling before Jesus. Kneeling being a sign of respect. Knowing that knowing who Jesus is. He obviously knows who Jesus is. He comes to him pleading. He's wanting something from Jesus. So even though he is young and he's a ruler and he has money, he understands that he is still lacking something. He realizes that something is amiss in his life. Even though he has what we would say is success. We would say that he has it all. But even this young man realizes that something's not right. He is missing something. Would you say that being earnest, having great enthusiasm, being a humble man, uh, wanting to be divine and, and, and worship Jesus, we would all say those are great things. We could look at him and look at those particular qualities and we could say we all need to be more like that. How often do we come running to church? Not necessarily literally, but uh, just the drive, the, the zeal inside of you. Sometimes we come kicking and screaming to church. We don't want to be here. We could, we could take some lessons from this man. He, he bows, he kneels in a sign of respect. Are we respecting God when we come to worship him? When we come to worship him, it's not about us. It's not about what I want in worship. It's about what God has commanded us to do in worship. We come with respect. We should be trembling. We should be humble. We see examples of people coming to Jesus to have their bodies healed, but this young man comes pleading for his soul. You think about whenever you're facing some physical challenge in your life, it's very easy to get focused on me. Lord, if you would just take this pain away from me, or Lord, if you would just help me to get better in this area, and it's very easy to lose focus. And if you've been through things like this, you understand what I'm saying. The spiritual kind of takes a back seat and it becomes me. It's a me show. There's nothing wrong with praying to God for strength and for, you know, relieving pain. We, we pray on people's behalf all the time for that. But let's not lose sight of why we're here. And it's the spiritual. This man comes to Jesus because he's pleading for his soul. You know what $250 billion can't do? It can't do anything for your soul. What is it that causes a person to be lost? Sin. Sin is what causes a person to be lost. Any of you guys ever seen the uh, commercials OxyClean and how it will take out any stain out of fabric and, you know, they'll sprinkle different things, and OxyClean, OxyClean can't touch your sin. You can't bleach it. You can't use Ajax. You can't use anything. The only thing that will take away the blood of Jesus is, sin is the blood of Jesus. I gave you the answer. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter how much prestige you have. The blood of Jesus is the only thing that can take away sin. When I'm sick, it becomes all about me. I want to be healed. I want to be in less pain. 
And unfortunately, many times, we become more focused spiritually when we're sick, but it's because I want something. You ever thought about it like that? Sometimes when I pray most earnestly, it's because I want something out of it. When was the last time that God answered your prayers and you took time to thank Him for for the way that He answered your prayers? I'm just as guilty as anyone else, I can promise you this. I don't thank God enough for what He's done for me. For the difficulties, for the things that I've faced in my life, we are really good at praying to God and asking God for things, and there's nothing wrong with that. But how good, are we, or how good are we at thanking Him when He does answer our prayers? We need to always remember who we're praying to, God, the creator of the universe. We need to always show Him the respect that He deserves. He's not my buddy. He's not my pal. I always need to be reverent when I am praying to God. And we need to do a better job with our thanksgiving. Think about your own life. Think about loved ones. Think about people who are on our prayer list and how fervently we pray for these individuals. And we should. When when was the last time that you fervently prayed for someone else's soul? Let that sink in for a second because I'm guilty of this. I try to do a good job at praying for other people that they can get better and they can get stronger and they can regain their health. But I oftentimes am negligent in praying for other people's souls. And I hate to say that out loud because it's painful to hear. Are we really concerned about the souls of people? Do we really want people to go to heaven? Just some things to think about. We see that this rich young ruler is a reverent man. He addresses Jesus as the good master. Matthew chapter 19 and verse 16. Master was a title that the Jews were in habit of using for their religious teachers. Again, he's kneeling. He's calling him master. He came in a spirit of a disciple to learn wisdom from the great teacher. He is sincere. He understands there is something missing in his life. And I think that he truly wants to fix this problem. He comes to Jesus and he wants information. What can I do to fix this problem? How sincere are we? Think about your last prayer. The last prayer that you had to God. How sincere were you to God? Was it just before you ate dinner and it was, let's hurry up and pray so we can eat so we can get to church on time? What was your last prayer like as far as a sincerity level? He's an honorable man. He says, all these things I have kept from my youth. Can we look up to this young man? Yes, he's got some great characteristics. He's a humble man. 
He's showing reverence. He's showing respect to Jesus. He really wants to get his life right. Whatever that last piece is, he's wanting to fix that last piece. We can look at him and we can think, I need to be more like him. He was a man with a clean record. This is a man that he he spent his whole life trying to be pleasing to God. I think that we would all look at this individual and we would all elevate him. And we would think, you know, this is the kind of young man that I want my daughter to grow up and marry someday. Somebody just like him. We would think very highly of him. We would point to him as an example. You know, we look at Barnabas and we look at Paul and we look at different people throughout the Bible and we think, well, you know, this is, this is an encouragement. You know, look at the characteristics that Barnabas had and you look at so-and-so and I think the rich young ruler has some of those same characteristics. But he says, what do I still lack? By the world's perspective, he has youth, he has influence, he has wealth. From heaven's perspective, he has earnestness, humility, reverence, and morality. He's in good standing in the world. And morally, in good standings from a heaven's perspective... Please don't misunderstand this point. We have to do more than just be moral people. It takes more than just being a moral person to be pleasing to God. Are there good people? Are there good people who are um, atheists? That care about people? Who love people? Who treat people with respect? Yeah. Yeah. Are there good people who are ethical people who would not necessarily agree with what we teach? Yeah. Mary and I studied with some Jehovah's Jehovah's Witnesses one time. Sometimes I get Mormons because we've studied with several of them, but it was a husband and wife, Jehovah's Witness. And we sat down and we studied with them. And just getting to know them, these were some good, sincere people. Their doctrine's wrong, but they were good people. Like, I would trust them with, with, with whatever. They were just good people. They really tried to live according to what they believe. But just being a good person, being a moral person, is not enough. Okay, so let's stop here, and then when Don's out again, we'll pick up here. Thank you.